Welcome to the Zanbergen Report, where wealth strategies and pop culture collide. Featuring your distinguished host and certified financial planner, Bart Zandbergen. Welcome to our show of dream chasers and wealth makers. We are thrilled to be back in the studio today with a new episode of the Zanbergen Report. I'm proud to bring in the movers, shakers, and difference makers who are passionate about what they have learned and what you need to know today. And today I'm pleased to welcome back a repeat guest, attorney Nicole Anderson. Nicole, welcome to the show. Thank you, Barb, for having me. Of course, of course. So um, just to uh, re-light um, everybody as to what Nicole does, she is an estate planning attorney and business attorney and has received the designation of super lawyer that she has been since 2015. So, so great to have her on the show and so great to call you my friend. So let's do this. Yeah, I feel the same way, Bart. It's so nice to be here and to work with people as knowledgeable as you. Oh, great. Okay, so there's a lot of things that have um, been happening over the last, I would say, 12 months beyond the uh, pandemic, but with regards to estate planning. Um, so one, let's talk about the um, lifetime exemption. So let's let's define again for our audience what that is and what changes we may or may not see. Sure. So currently, when you pass away, your any individual person is allowed to give $11.7 million free of any estate tax for federal purposes. So that's the new number for 2021, $11.7 million. So if you're married, right, you have quite a large exemption there. Um, and you say and, that because when you're married, you can combine those two, right? You have the proper yeah. trust. You can combine those two. Right. A little bit over 23 million. So um, we currently in California do not have a state, a state level death tax. Um, we only have the federal death tax. So that is a very high number. Um, former President Trump doubled the number. So it's really 10 million indexed for inflation. So that's where we are right now at 11.7. And now that we're under the new um, Biden administration, everyone is concerned that that estate exemption could be decreased. In his proposed budget, it was anywhere between 3.5 million and 5 million per person. So that's a, a, a large reduction in exemption. We know that if no action happens, that that law is scheduled to set December 31st, 2025. So starting 2026, the exemption will be million per person index for inflation. So what we do know is that the exemption currently is the 11.7. And so I still feel that we have this window of opportunity to do some large wealth transfers. Now we do not know for certain if the Biden administration will change, reduce it and make it retroactive January 1st of this year. So that is a risk, right. but that would be a very unpopular move. <laughs> yeah, I think highly unpopular. So clearly there are some things that, that, that um, uh, clients and individuals can do. Are you, how aggressively are you going after that? Meaning how sure are you or unsure that this could change? No one knows. That's a, that's not a very, that's not a very yeah. fair question, but are you planning as if it's going back? Or are you planning as if it's going to stay? I, I mean, I think there's, look, uh, there's a lot of things that the Biden administration has on its plate and 
um, you know, it's definitely easier to do nothing because it just means no action. You don't have to have support um, of, of Congress to do anything. So the easy thing would be to just let it go and have it sunset in 2025. However, it is a relatively easy tax to, to talk about. The estate tax does not affect that many people. It happens to affect a lot of people in California and New York, but for most of the country, uh, you know, most Americans are under $5 million. So it really just doesn't matter to them if the exemption is 3.5 or 5 million or 11. So I do think that it is something, you know, when you look back historically, it's been a lot lower. So the fact that it's higher right now, you know, I, I really truly don't think it's going to stay this high. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I tend, I tend to agree. Um, in, in, when you say the amount of people it affects, I think nationally, what is it? Like it's less than 10%, isn't it? I think it's significantly less than 10% nationally. I think it's closer to 2%. I'd have to check. That's what I thought. Yeah. 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 All right. And then maybe just to close up on this subject. um, So the current 11.7, we talk about using when people pass away, but in planning with you, you would start to use it now while they're alive and and then to, to basically lock it in parentheses if there's no retro to January 1 so that they can have full benefit of it. I'm sorry, Bart, you bring up a very important part of the law is you are also allowed currently to gift 11.7 million. And that's also the number that that is exempt from generation skipping tax. So it's a very powerful thing. You can gift currently 11.7 million as an individual. And what you give during your lifetime does go against what you can give at, at your death. Okay, there's one exception to that, which is the annual exclusion, which is the ability to currently give 15,000 per person per year. So the idea is, is you really have to make a meaningful gift right now. If you just give 3.5 million and the exemption gets reduced to 3.5 million, you haven't really done anything. You really have to go over that amount that you think it's going to end up at to to have, you know, made a gift that would, um, you know, that you've done a good job at and you've really gotten past that right that um, hump of where it could go back to okay and there's lots of different ways to give it's it's a very technical transaction sure Uh, the biggest downside is when you give an asset you do receive the basis that um, the donor had so you don't get you lose a step up in tax basis at death so that's a very important thing to understand so in general you want to give high basis assets that have the ability to appreciate—that would be the perfect situation. Sure, sure. Overall, I think the takeaway is this is something that requires some planning, sophisticated planning, and something that that you'd be able to help um, our people with. So great. Correct. Another thing that has come up very often in my uh, client meetings is the um, kind of the stretch IRA rules: ten year, five year. Let's look at what it was, and then what it is, and anything around it. Yes. So before the SECURE Act, um, you if, if you were a child and your parents passed away, that child could stretch those IRA benefits for their life expectancy. That's kind of the biggest takeaway from that rule. Um, now, post-SECURE Act, surviving spouses still are able to stretch. So it hasn't changed for the surviving spouse. But except for a small, like narrow circumstances, if you're disabled, um, for example, most people can no longer stretch their benefits for their lifetime. 
they have to take all the IRA benefits out in 10 years. So for, for, for people that have a lot of wealth in their IRAs, it really does mean that you can't enjoy this tax-free growth in the IRAs that was very, you know, powerful before the right. Secure Act. Right. So for, for minors, I have three minor children. What does that mean for me, for example? It means that my kids, once they turn 18, so they have to still turn 18, and at that point of 18, then they have 10 years past their 18th birthday to take out the IRA. Uh-huh. Now, I could still leave it to them in a trust, but all the tax would have to be paid in that 10-year period. Right, right. So it kind of accelerates the tax that's owed. Yeah. So I don't know about you, but, but one of the planning tools that I've, that I've – it doesn't work all the time. doesn't apply to everybody, but the Roth conversion. So for those yeah. who have the bigger IRAs, knowing that the amount of time that they would have – based on what you've just said, to distribute that, if we can, during their lifetime, in a lower tax bracket, convert some of their IRA to a Roth IRA, and then thereby no more taxes. So that's something that, that I've been recommending. Yeah, that's a great solution. Um, another solution that we're considering for some clients is a testamentary, so on your death, charitable remainder trust. So you name the beneficiary of a retirement plan, this charitable trust, and then that charitable trust can actually be stretched out um, for longer than 10 years uh, for the beneficiaries. And then the remainder would go to charity, but you do get to enjoy that you know, tax-free um, growth. And because uh, charities don't pay taxes and the charities would get the full amount without also without paying tax. So it can, it can be a win-win if you're charitable. So let's, let's play off of that. So RMDs, required minimum distributions, going straight to a charity. So that was, was that part of the SECURE Act or was that before? So you can also, yeah, so that was the rule before. Um, if you're 70 and a half, you can, is this the rule we're talking about? Yes. Mm-hmm. If you're 70 and a half, you can, yeah. you can take 100000 out of your retirement plan. Well, you can't take it out. You, you call up your retirement yeah. plan provider and you yeah. make it directly to your charity for that 100000 And that counts. That can count towards your required minimum distribution. So that's a great place to make <clears throat> charitable contributions. You don't, you know, as the taxpayer receive the income and the charity receives that amount tax-free and it's a win-win. It took me a while to understand the real benefit to that because uh, in simple terms, I thought, okay, take out a hundred grand, claim it as income, make a hundred thousand dollar charitable contribution, claim the deduction. But I think where the benefit is if you don't qualify for that large of a charitable deduction, right, based on your AGI or something. So this this supersedes that income. Exactly. It's it's more tax efficient. Yeah. For most people. Okay. All right. Um, We are whipping through a lot of things. I love it. Something that's coming up recently for me as well, or at least questions about the whole Prop 19. And I know that's a little more probably complicated, but can you talk to that? Sure, of course. So Prop 19 was passed by the California... California voters on November 3rd, 2020, it became effective in December, and um, it definitely changed a number of things. For most people, you're going to notice two major changes. One is that um, effective February 15th, so next Monday, Mm. uh, you no longer have the parent-to-child or parent-to-grandchild exclusion from exemption on your property taxes. 
that's that used to be called prop 58 so we'll talk about that another big thing now is that if you're at least 55 years of age you can transfer over if it's your primary residence your property tax basis uh, with a with a couple of caveats that used to be the former prop 6090 and that used to only apply to your county and then there was 10 other counties in california that were reciprocal to each other but now that prop 19 made it to any anywhere in california that's how most people saw it on the ballot they didn't really see this whole prop 58 parent to child exclusion elimination that was down in paragraph three most people didn't pay attention to that yeah and any is there any planning around that or is this that's just the fact and that's just the way it's going to be well, we've been spending our last month pretty much exclusively on Prop 19 transfers, counseling clients. So again, before parents used to be able to transfer their property tax basis to their children. Yeah. If it was their primary residence, there was no cap. If it was non-primary, for example, a rental property, it was up to a million dollars of assessed value for each parent. So let's say you owned a home in, in Laguna Beach for you know, since the 60s and your basis, you're paying, you know, 10,000 a year in property tax. And now your home is worth $5 million. So now your property tax, if you if you were to die, your kids would be reassessed at fair market value. So it'd be, you know, in the in the 50,000s of year, yeah. uh, dollars a year. So obviously it's a big change. It means that it's, it's more expensive for your children to keep these, you know, family homes. So in your, what you've been doing for the last month or so, so you're, you're preemptive. Are you, are you doing the transfers now during the lifetime or something well, different? We've been, we've been counseling clients on that. Yes. We've done some transfers. We've definitely told a lot of clients, no, it doesn't make sense to do that right now. And we've also, um, there, so yeah, you could have either transferred directly to your children. Now that would have been a gift. You would have you know, gotten an appraised value and, and you as a parent no longer own the home. And if you want to live there, you have to pay your ch child fair market right. rent to live there. So the benefit would be that the kids now have this home. It's out of their estate for federal and state estate tax purposes. It's been transferred for Prop 58 purposes. So the children do take the property tax basis. But the big downside part is they get no step up in tax basis. If, so if the kids sell it, they're paying a, a they don't get the step up. So there is definitely significant capital gains. So Plus have, the parents have to pay rent, which is very challenging. So and you are using the you're using sort of part of the the lifetime gifting or lifetime exemption for that, correct? Yes, because yeah. they're all over fifteen thousand per person per yeah. year. Okay. So a couple other things that you can do. Um, one is there. Um, some of my very esteemed colleagues were doing these parent-to-child exemption trusts, which was, uh, which is basically a, a trust that was incomplete for gift tax purposes. So the asset was still included in the decedent's estate for the step up, but complete for Prop 58, Prop 19 purposes. So it was a completed gift for property taxes. And that was a very good option for, for some people. And then another transaction that we did was we gifted at least 51% to the child or children. And then the parents and the children created an LLC and proportionately contributed their percentage back to that LLC. Mm. And then under the LLC rules, as long as there's 50% or less change of ownership, 
or when the original owners, as long as there's not an original owner, 50% or more, it would delay the property tax reassessment for a longer period of time. Obviously, there's complications with sure. all of our right. expenses, nuances, appraisals, but it's been really busy. Yeah. We just turned someone down today. We've turned about seven people down this week already. Wow. So, wow. You know, it, it's just, it's almost, it's pretty much too late. I mean, these deeds have to be recorded by Friday. Yeah. So it's really challenging. And a lot of counties aren't even accepting in-person recording. So we have to e-record. What a year. It's, yeah, it's a real nice uh, yeah. and, you know, follow through from the 2020 yeah. year end. So actually, that's a that's a great lead-in. So speaking of 2020, um, you and I talked a little bit off camera about you know what what we've been doing and, and what's been keeping us busy. And you said that um, you mentioned that you know due to the you know, the pandemic that maybe checking you know, healthcare, power of attorney, that sort of thing. So what can you elaborate on that? Yeah. So you know, obviously, we're living in a very unique time and. If there's a situation where you have a loved one that's alive but incapacitated, let's just say they, you know, are afflicted with COVID and they're in a hospital, you want to make sure that your loved one has their financial power of attorney and their health care power of attorney completed so that during that period of incapacity, you can make decisions on their behalf. Another thing that I want to point out is that doctors are really busy right now. Sometimes it takes a couple of weeks just to be able to make an appointment and see them. So we have counseled clients to the extent that they're comfortable, make those powers of, of attorney effective immediately rather than the standard you know, opinion of two licensed physicians. It's really hard to get uh, an appointment quickly with two doctors right now. Right, right. So this is a little bit new to me. So I know that like in my living trust, we have a durable power of attorney and power of health. So you're saying you can have those completely separate from your, from your trust, those directives? Yes, yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah, and there's even state statutory forms. You can even, um, you know, Google Uniform California Power of Attorney. It's in our state statute, and you can get those without even having to see an attorney. Yeah. Or the California Advanced Healthcare Directive. Okay. Forms that you can you can get, and they're right. really important to do. Right. Anything else that's been um, un, you know unusual or things that you've been focusing on more in 2020? Well, I think it's just, you know, um, kind of making sure that you have everything in order. So I think if anything, this has taught me that, you know, I, I guess in my job, right, life is this. You never yeah. know how long you're going to have. But really just review your revocable living trust. Make sure you have a plan. Um, make it easier for your loved ones. Make sure that you are working with you know, bar your team members to make sure all your accounts are properly titled in the name of the trust, that the retirement plans have beneficiaries. I have so many clients doing refinances right now because those rates are so low. And what's happening is that when you do the refi, your, your home is not being put back into the trust. Lenders don't like to deal with trust because, right, then they have to review the trust document. So they just take it out of the trust, do the refi, and they forget to put it back in the trust. So if your assets are not in the trust, then you have this beautiful binder, but it's unfunded. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. So. Well, I think these are all excellent points. And um, I know that you are extremely busy and you took time out of your, your busy week to be on the show and we were, and I was running late. So um, I want to thank you for your time and um, of course, of course. 
hopefully we'll, we'll get through this and you'll get through the rest of this week before the prop uh, uh, 19 deadline. Um, how can people reach you, Nicole? After this week, starting next week. <laughs> Easiest way is probably our website, andersonlawgroupinc.com. And um, my email is um, andersonlawgroupatme.com. And you, they can always get my contact from you, Bart. Okay, great. Well, Nicole, thanks again. Really appreciate your time. Have a good rest of the day. I want to thank everyone who was tuned in. We look, we look forward to being back in the studio next week. Cheers. Tune in next week for the latest edition of the Zanbergen Report, Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Catch up on our recent shows by visiting podcast.bartzanbergen.com. The Zanbergen Report is also available on iTunes, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Interested in being a featured guest on our show or have a question you'd like to hear us answer? Email podcast at bartzanbergen.com. The contents of this podcast episode do not constitute an offer of securities or a solicitation of an offer to buy securities and may not be relied upon in making an investment decision related to any investment offering Access Wealth Management LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Access does not warrant the accuracy or completeness of the information contained herein. Opinions are our current opinions and are subject to change without notice. Prices, quotes, rates are subject to change without notice. Generally, investments are not FDIC insured, not bank guaranteed and may lose value. Brokerage services are offered through to Sarah Capital, member FINRA.